I mean, this, this guy's probably fought hundreds of thousands of other super beings on the other planets he's destroyed, right? And we have to assume he's won. I don't care how many demons he's fought and how many hells. He's never fought us. Zack Snyder's Justice League is four hours long. Zack Snyder's Justice League is four hours long, but gives us more Superman. Zack Snyder's Justice League actually gives us a great Superman movie. Great. There he is, an alien among us. Zack Snyder has created the best depiction of Superman in movie history. Wait, hold on, Dave. This is Galaxy Brains. And today, Zack Snyder's Justice League. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Galaxy Brains, the podcast where movies, TV, and overthinking collide. I'm Dave Schilling. And I'm Dave's good buddy pal, Jonah Ray. And each week on the show, we start with overanalyzing a film, TV show, or a video of an orange tabby cat playing the piano, and end with a cosmic mind-bending discovery, or as we like to call it, the Galaxy Brain moment. Mm, And to do it, we'll sit down with an expert guest to help us dissect the theory, pick it apart, and tell us if we're right. Today, we're grappling with all four hours of Zack Snyder's definitive cut of Justice League and bringing in Polygon's comics editor, Susanna Polo, to help us make sense of it all. To prep our brains for this dive, let's start with a dash of context. So, the Justice League was conceived by writer Gardner Fox in... Not that much context. What if one of our listeners has never read a comic book before? If they're listening to a podcast, kind of unlikely. Okay, fine. Assuming you have heard of superheroes before, you know Zack Snyder's Justice League is the first Justice League movie to actually be directed by Zack Snyder. This is perhaps the most famous do-over in motion picture history and the most expensive, coming in at a whopping $70 million to make Snyder's 4-3 aspect ratio dreams come true. Thanks to an outpouring of internet support, which occasionally ventured into outright harassment, Snyder got to finish his version of the DC Comics team up film, which is now streaming on HBO Max. Got it, Dave. Great context. Let's start analyzing. If I may, let's start overanalyzing. In other words, it's time to access our critical brain. This is the part of the show where we check out fan theories and float our own. It's also where we talk about what a jerk Bruce Wayne is for letting Martha Kent get her house foreclosed on. I mean, his mom's name is also Martha. You think Martha Kent has a fiduciary responsibility required to run a bank? She couldn't even run a farm. Now, business acumen aside, what did you think of Justice League? And so listeners know I have given Jonah full spoiler permissions. Everybody dies. All right. Thanks for tuning in to Galaxy right now. I I love the movie. I don't normally go in on DC. I wasn't a big DC kid when I was growing up, so I'm I'm always into the Marvel. But I do enjoy Batman movies, and so now I'm really digging 
this darker version of the Justice League, which was a bit too splash and pop for me for a bit. I didn't even notice it was four hours long. That's a good sign of a good movie. I did notice because I kept checking my phone every 20 minutes, which I do when I watch movies at home. And that's a whole other conversation we should have at some point. I have no self-control. None. But I did have enough self-control to finish all four hours of Justice League in one sitting. And I can't believe I did that. I agree with you. I kind of love this movie. I had a great time. I don't know if it's because I, we've been stuck at home for so long or because it was just like a better constructed movie, but I, I had a blast. I mean, did you see the theatrical cut before you saw this? And did you compare the two when we were, you were watching it? No, you know, I did not enjoy uh, Batman versus Superman. And uh, but I did enjoy Wonder Woman, but I didn't enjoy Wonder Woman 1984. So I figured, you know, I could kind of pick and choose what I want with these DC movies. And I never checked out the Justice League. And maybe it's because I have some personal issues with Joss Whedon. I don't know. Maybe I do. Maybe I do. But I um, I finally got a chance to see this in the original version it was meant to be seen. And I don't think I ever want to go back to see the other version because I really enjoyed the story of Cyborg. I really enjoyed the way that The Flash was. I think it's, it's amazing that Ezra Miller was the best part of both the theatrical cut and the director's cut. For dog work, I always bring a meat snack because it makes them feel calm, because you never know what's going to happen in this city. I mean, oh my God. Ezra Miller gave a great performance, but what do you think about Flash as a character, as a member of the Justice League? I found him to be, in the in the spirit of Spider-Man, fun and silly and also a bit sad. Talk to my father, who's still in prison for the murder of my mother, which he didn't commit. How did I get interested in criminal justice? I can't remember. Yeah, I think every single one of these characters has to be sad at some point. It's it's not like the Marvel Universe where there's like long stretches where it's just fun. Like I love Thor Ragnarok because it's this movie that is just kind of like a two hour buddy comedy. That's great. But this is like everybody's got a tortured backstory, which brings me to the next character. Maybe the most tortured backstory of them all. Cyborg. You know a lot about monsters, don't you? Cyborg gets ripped out of the theatrical cut. He's barely in it. And here he's a pivotal character. His father is the one doing the narration in the, the final montage that kind of ends the movie. What did you think of the inclusion of Cyborg here, the way he was used in the film? And then what did you think about the fact that Joss Whedon took him out of the movie, essentially? I can't believe there is a version of this movie where he is not as large of a character as he is. I thought he was amazing. I like that his dad's in Terminator 2. Um, and is also responsible for, you know, uh, the uprising of machines. So he's still, that's his own actor's universe. That's his connected universe uh, is just the being a guy who makes cyborgs happen. I like the idea that he's, he's, he, he, he could be only sad if he just lost his mom in a car accident where he almost died. You don't need to throw in the idea that his dad didn't show up to his football game. I had many events in my life where my dad didn't show up and I'm not sad he's gone. Let me just say, if you've seen any Zack Snyder movie before, you know that in the Zack Snyder cinematic universe, suffering builds character. The greatest heroes are the ones that suffer the most. And who suffers more than Batman? Oh, I, I had a dream. It was the end of the world. Batman is miserable, too. He lost not just his mom. But his dad, too. Now, to be fair, Cyborg also loses his dad later. So it's just like a bunch of parents getting knocked off. But Batman is the most famous uh, orphan in all of comic books. What do you ultimately think about 
Ben Affleck in this role. I think there's some controversy still. I've seen some chatter on on Twitter about, well, is it Christian Bale who's the best? Uh, is it Ben Affleck who's the best? What's your take? I think what makes a good Batman is uh, who makes a good Bruce Wayne. That's, you know, once you're in the Batman suit, and clearly in this suit, there's really not much you can do. The guy's walking around like he's uh, had some stiffening juice of some sort. <laughs> he looks like he the is... Stay Puft Marshmallow Man out there. <laughs> Yeah, I think, uh, I, but he's also an older Batman than we've seen before. Mm -hmm. uh, so he is kind of run down and he has really finally come to the idea that money can't buy happiness, but broken bones maybe can. What are your superpowers again? I'm rich. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's got all of the money in the world, but what he really wants is to get the crap kicked out of him every night by a bunch <laughs> of aliens and demons. Uh, one of the, the demons in this movie is Steppenwolf, who was completely redesigned by our friend Zack Snyder uh, versus the uh, Joss Whedon version. Let me make a plea to him that I may come home after I take this world in his name. Steppenwolf in this film. You didn't see the theatrical version, so you can't really say, but what do you think about Steppenwolf as a bad guy in this film? I thought, um, great design. I, I love, uh, I loved it. Uh, I also thought, uh, once you see his sadness too, where he also has daddy issues, where he really wants to impress Darkseid. Everyone has daddy issues in this thing. And it's a, and Steppenwolf clearly has made Darkseid his father figure in this and is so desperately trying to impress him again. And that scene where you, when he reveals that is a great performance of also like of CG acting as well. I thought that was kind of a nice testament to how much you can do as a performer through CG. Darkseid as a character doesn't get a lot to do in this movie besides, like you said, be the daddy for all of these villains. Ready the Armada. We will use the old ways. Are you sad that we're not going to get to see Darkseid, like, have a full movie where he is the antagonist? I kind of honestly don't care. When you name your villain Darkseid, it's like, that's a that feels like a real first draft. It's like, you know, we're going to get back to it. But let's just say he's on the dark side of the of things in general. Well, what's the name of his home planet? Oh, it's Apocalypse. Okay. <laughs> okay. It's Apocalypse. It's yeah, well, no, scary. no, it's, it's Apocalypse for now. We'll get back to it later. Okay. So, yeah. So, he's on the dark side of things. It's an apocalyptic world. Working titles here. <laughs> And we were talking about earlier about how it feels like every character in here has daddy issues, but there is one that doesn't have a daddy, and that's Wonder Woman. Can I be like you someday? You can be anything you want to be. Yeah, Wonder Woman doesn't have any issues except for the one person in the entire world after hundreds of years of life that she loved. And he's been dead for a long time. And she's long like, time. you know what? I haven't gotten over that yet. Like, yeah, you gotta get over this. Come on, he's been dead forever. At some point, even you have to learn to move on. Did Steve Trevor tell you that? Batman does make fun of Steve Trevor and Wonder Woman's uh, obsession with this dead person in the film, which I thought was one of the best jokes in the entire movie. Is like, when you poke at the actual things that are weird about a character, I think that's the best opportunity for comedy. Um, mm. Ben Affleck is trying to, subtly every once in a while in this movie trying to get Wonder Woman to maybe open up to the possibility of dating him. He's a he's a rich kid that's nagging an Amazonian uh, warrior. <laughs> yeah. Good yeah, your him. dead boyfriend sucks. By the way, if you notice, I'm standing right here. <laughs> that's essentially what he's doing the whole movie. Yeah, hey, exactly. if you notice, I got a plane. <laughs> 
do you find it odd that Snyder speeds up Wonder Woman but slows Flash down? No, I think it's actually pretty cool that he does that because if you were to portray Flash going quickly, it wouldn't it would be visual gibberish on the screen. If you really want him to seem fast, you make normal life slow down and it's the contrast is what makes it an effective artistic decision. Because of the Flash-like character that shows up in Robert Kirkman's Invincible, I have a whole new take on Flash and how he, the the idea that not only can he go super fast, but he also perceives things as super slow. So every dull conversation is excruciating because it feels like it takes months to end. So small talk for this guy is just a terrible thing. And then it made me go, yeah, maybe they'd be irritable and they'd be kind of, you know, a little scattered because they can't keep track of any kind of conversation because it takes too long. He would have no time for these people. Okay, Jonah, what about Aquaman? He's in the movie for like 30 minutes and then he kind of disappears for a while. I mean, he's hardly in the movie. All the time I wasted trying to keep the promise I made to your mother. Finished all now. Willem Dafoe shows up for five minutes to be like, you're a disappointment to your mom, which we can all relate to, I think. I guess that's the thing with, uh, you, you, like, yeah, there's so many daddy issues in here. You get a little mommy issues, just a, a sprinkle, a dash, a pepper. We would be remiss if we didn't talk about the Joker. Oh, contraire, my little fish stick. They added the Joker into this movie for no reason at all. It ends the movie after we've seen the end of the movie. It's, oh, wait, hold on. There's more movie, and it's got the Joker in it, and it's a flash forward to a horrible post-apocalyptic future. What did you think of this decision? It should have been a post credit sequence, I'll tell you that much, because it confused me. When it started, I was confused why the movie started back up, as if I had uh, skipped ahead in the TV show version of Zack Snyder's Justice League. And I was like, oh, wait, did I miss an episode? I, I don't, where's the recap? I uh, And it was neat. It was neat to see, but it could have been a post credit sequence. I don't understand why it was there. Well, guess what? There's more movie after that, too. Yep. Martian Manhunter has to show up. And he's got to have a conversation with a clearly not as jacked Ben Affleck who maybe has been like actually sleeping. Like he wakes up from his dream, but he still looks actually tired. There's a war coming and I'm here to help. I'm sorry. Who are you again? Uh, Martian Manhunter shows up. Uh, I don't know the character. I didn't know what was going on and I, I didn't really understand why I was there. It, it was like a, a, a cliffhanger for a movie that will never exist. Very strange decision to shoehorn this character into the movie. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, it, did, it, it didn't ruin the film for me. Zack Snyder definitely took advantage of the fact that this was not a theatrical release and didn't have to be rated PG-13. There are F-bombs and blood splatter and all kinds of adult themes in this movie that you wouldn't normally see in a, in a comic book film. Do you think four hours was too long, Jonah? You know what? In this day and age, I think it's uh, this this movie, the four hour length, it is benefited by lockdown. People are watching TV shows at a longer length than four hours in a day sometimes. You know, the, the binge culture has lended itself. And I think doing the chapters throughout was a great idea because it kind of it lends itself to that kind of movie watching experience. It is almost like it's you're just binge watching a TV show, like a miniseries. I think the chapter headings made this movie doable because you always knew, well, there's going to be some sort of break and like a safety valve of getting away from it. If you really wanted to, you can hit pause. I felt free 
just because I knew that it was cut up. And it's such a small change versus the, the theatrical exhibition where it would be four hours and there wouldn't be the title cards and stuff. I'm surprised there was no intermission, uh, kind of like The Hateful Eight with, uh, you know, when Quentin Tarantino put in an intermission. And I actually ended up using that intermission to use the restroom. It's very convenient. I think more more shows should do that. I agree. I, I do think I read somewhere that, that Zack Snyder said that if this gets a theatrical release, there will be some sort of intermission in the middle of the movie. So, uh, Dave, I want to I want to talk about having been someone who didn't see the original version and I loving this Snyder cut. What are some of the things that I missed out on or didn't miss out on by not seeing the Joss Whedon version? What you missed out on is feeling befuddled for most of the runtime of the movie, if that makes sense. There's a lot of stuff taken out as opposed to stuff added. There is a scene at the beginning of the theatrical version where Batman is uh, assaulting a criminal. What do you want from me? Fear. I can smell it. <laughs> to try to like scare him because the parademons in that version are attracted by fear. Mm-hmm. Fear makes them appear. So by scaring a criminal, a bad guy shows up. That's a totally unnecessary scene. And and a lost opportunity for a great song by the Parademons. Fear makes us appear. Fear makes us appear. And you know, I, I, now saying that out loud, I know why they didn't do it. It's gonna be the <laughs> it's gonna be the feel bad hit of the summer. I'm telling you right now. <laughs> There are a bunch of scenes that are taken out, but there are also scenes that are reshot. And I think that was really what bothered not only Zack Snyder and his family, who, uh, you know, his name is on that movie, but also fans of his films who said, this is not Zack Snyder. This is not his movie. And that was what created this firestorm of anger and frustration that brought us the Snyder Cut, the fan outcry that turned this from just like a fun action blockbuster movie to a social cause on par with, uh, you know, women's suffrage or something. It became very bizarre. And and you kind of see why people were upset because this is a significantly better movie. And one of the things that I think makes this a great movie is Superman. They wanted me back for a reason. I need to find out why. We've not mentioned Superman at all. You're more of a Batman guy, but what did you think about Henry Cavill as Superman in this film? I think it's a great version of Superman. He had one of the all-time best Superman moments, which is when he's like stopping the rest of the Justice League and the Flash is going by, and then you have that feeling, oh man, Superman's super fast too. And then he sees that you do the side eye. And Henry Cavill, he made himself look like a completely different type of person. Like what an amazing performance, I think, it's that should be celebrated more. He's so good at looking honest and sweet and nice. And then just with his performing style, with his physicality and what, what he's doing to his face, he does an amazing job of being like a guy that looks super evil. Yeah, he's sort of like the Jared Leto of his time, don't you think? No. Here's the thing. Jared Leto would be one of my favorite actors of all time if I just didn't hate 30 Seconds to Mars so much. I can't let him affect me. <laughs> it's the music. It's not the acting. It's the music. What did you think of what is now kind of like a classic Superman mythological construct? The Superman costume that is black. 
They put Superman in this black costume. There's really no reason for it in the way that there is in the comic books and where the black costume kind of regenerates his powers. Here, he's just wearing a black suit because he goes through his Kryptonian wardrobe (laughs) in his spaceship. And he's like, "Hmm, which one of these cool outfits should I wear? Ooh, black feels nice. Did you like that? It's very non-Superman because Superman is bright colored and optimistic. But this is a dark, gritty Superman. Yeah, I mean, you know, sometimes when you just get back from being dead, maybe you're in a somber mood and want to put on some darker clothes. Dave, you're a guy that likes to dress up. You know, you you, you like to pick an outfit. If you just came back from being dead, would you pick a bright, sunshiny outfit? Or would you go, I'm still feeling a bit blue? I think flying around and having a cape is flashy enough for me. (laughs) That's a good point. But Superman being dead and then coming back to life is like the least sad thing that's happened to him. He's a miserable guy for this entire series. All three of the Zack Snyder Superman movies, he's a glum fella. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's the best version of Superman. I think Superman should always be depressed. Yeah, not always. I mean, he's basically a personification of a good old American dude. You know, he's he's supposed to kind of be optimistic and happy. Like, I don't want to think about a Superman just like hanging out, listening to My Chemical Romance, you know, drawing little black hearts in his journal as he keeps on snapping off the tops of his pencils because he's going too hard and he's too sad. You know, he just him going walking a lonely road, the only road he's ever known. Brainiac is outside and he's shooting lasers at the Daily Planet. Uh, who cares? I don't even care anymore, Lois. I can't fight Brainiac tonight. I just want to sit in the dark and sew this anarchy symbol onto my cape. It just, there was a sale over at Hot Topic. I just want to get this on before it, you know, it's too late. <laughs> Sorry. Emo Superman is not my Superman. That's because your Superman is not the best Superman. Allow me to explain. <laughs> Superman should be sad. Why wouldn't he be? His real dad, dead. His adopted dad, dead too. He's an orphan from a planet that exploded. Also, he's responsible for getting cats out of trees and beating up robots most of the day. How did Superman ever get a good night's sleep when billions of people are constantly asking him for help? Okay, okay, that's a good point. But Superman became popular because he was fun, not because he was Batman Jr. You're projecting 20th century thinking onto a 21st century problem. Superman exists now in 2021. Maybe I'm more cynical than I used to be, but Superman should reflect our problems today, our fears today, and our hopes today, not in 1938. Zack Snyder's Superman is a rumination on power in an era when society's most cherished institutions are losing their luster. Snyder's Superman is sad because he has to be. Because being Superman sucks. That's why Zack Snyder's Superman is the best. Because he's miserable. Oh no, Jonah, it's happening. My god, it's full of stars. I'm galaxy braining. Oh, boy. Okay, when we come back, Polygon's comics editor, Susanna Polo, will guide us through this history of Superman and hopefully talk some sense into Dave. Welcome back to the stars. We are here in the depths of the cosmos. There are violet rays and a 
few asteroids, which are lovely this time of the year. We've achieved galaxy brain status. Okay, but yeah, but before you hit trans warp drive earlier, you were spiraling out about how Superman should be miserable? Ah, yes, of course. Uh, Being Superman sucks. Or at least I assume it would (laughs) if he were actually real. No movie or TV show has dramatized this in quite the same way as Zack Snyder's Superman trilogy. And maybe there's a good reason for that. Polygon Susanna Polo was here to hopefully get to the bottom of what makes the character of Superman tick and why I'm obviously right that Henry Cavill is the best Superman ever. Susanna, thank you for joining us. I want to start off with a pretty hot question here. Why do you love Superman? Well, it's very simple. I'm a giant Batman fan. And just like Batman, who Superman is his best friend, If anybody comes for Superman, I'm jetting across the United States to get to his city and throw hands in his in his behalf. That's kind of how me and Jonah are. Yeah. Like if somebody uh, messes with Jonah, uh, I'm going to fly to to Highland Park where he lives and I'm going to beat some people up. That's true. And if someone messes with Dave, you know, everyone has to have their own trials and tribulations. So, you know, I think he should get through it on his own. It will will just build character. That's how I help. Oh, okay. Well, um, thank you, Jonah, for the support. Um. Okay, you're more of a Batman person. Why are you more of a Batman person as opposed to a Superman person? Well, I came to Batman through Batman the Animated Series. His episodes were much more interesting than the Superman episodes. Um, But they did give me a first taste of superhero soap opera, which I kind of got even more into in the era that I got into Batman comics, which had, you know, there were like two or three different Robins and one of them was dead and the other one didn't like him. And then, you know, bad girl was a computer hacker. And and there was this sort of like really tangled web of characters in Gotham city. And in a way that kind of maps onto my relationship with Superman, which is that, you know, I think my favorite things about him as a character is the way that he exists in a universe that has a reaction to him, that he is both an inspiration to the rest of the DC universe, that he in the same way that he is sort of in real life has this, origin point of the rest of the superhero genre, he's also considered, you know, regardless of whatever DC continuity you pick from, he is often the character that's pointed to as like, he's the reason that superheroes started happening. He inspired all of them in quote unquote, the real life of the DC universe, as well as like the editorial life of it. I'm glad you mentioned the soap opera aspects of comic books, because maybe the most important story for Justice League for this film that we're talking about today from the comics is the death of Superman story, which is drastically different in the films than it was in the comic books. But that was a a comic story that had a ton of twists and turns and a lot of, like you said, character relationships that are very fraught. And you've got seven people running around pretending to be Superman and all kinds of craziness where eventually Clark comes back with his mullet and the black suit and all that stuff. It's become a touchstone of comic books for fans our age, I think. What did you think about that death of Superman story? And what do you think about that story being so important to Superman in 2021? Certainly an interesting story to go back to because it's remarkable the number of parts of it that are actually really compelling for something that like has sort of this mythos as being like the first gimmicky death of sort of modern superheroism. It was a storyline that kind of tried to make Superman into a 90s comics character. And it didn't really work. He, you know, eventually, as he always does, sort of twisted back into his classic red and blue, you know, cheerful guy, heart of America kind of 
personality. Yeah, the one Jonah likes so much. It's just nice. I liked it. I liked it more than the Man of Tomorrow, the half cyborg Superman. I remember Clark Kent had a ponytail. When Superman had the mullet, Clark Kent wore a ponytail, and I always thought uh, he looks like an art dealer or something. I remember there was a graphic novel, uh, which I thought was when I was a kid. I should reread it because it was a bit too serious. Clark Kent is trying to write a uh, a novel. like He's like a, a guy that's finally, and it's, I think he's trying to write it called Under a Yellow Sun. It was very much like just if there was a mumblecore comic book about Superman, <laughs> it was about Clark Kent trying to write a novel and having a hard time with it. Because uh, he doesn't actually know the human experience. <laughs> it's like uh, it's like adaptation, but with superheroes. That's a movie. <laughs> Let's make that movie. God, that's a dark Superman. I want to see. <laughs> Susanna, you mentioned that this is an attempt to. It was an attempt to make a '90s relevant Superman, and I agree with you that it didn't really work at the time. But Superman has this history now. Every couple years, they try to make him relevant again. They try to make him darker. They try to make him more like Batman. And as someone who is more of a Batman person, who sees Superman as kind of like Batman's plucky sidekick, what do you think about? these moments when they try to add this grim, dark sort of vibe to Superman. I think that we've been trying to make Superman, we've been trying to deconstruct Superman by making him grim, dark for so long that we've kind of come to this weird place where that's the only angle we can take on the character. And the thing about deconstructions is you have to have the thing you're deconstructing really fresh in the audience's mind for it to work. And the problem is that we haven't really done a basic Superman for a widespread audience since like the 70s or 80s. Um, You know, like Superman Returns was about him leaving and not being there when his son was being raised by Lois Lane and like... Uh, Man of Steel had a really conflicted Superman who needed like two dead dads to tell him to be a superhero before he actually did it. And, and then you got, you also have movies like Brightburn, which are clearly playing with the Superman myth. But what if he had, oh, what if the kid was actually like really shitty and he like murdered everyone? <laughs> and I was like, okay, like that's fine. But I think with widespread sort of mainstream presentations of Superman, we've gotten a little unbalanced. Well, let's talk about metaphor for a second here, because I think that's the key to my argument that Henry Cavill's darker Superman is the best Superman because he functions at a, as a metaphor for, I think, a lot of people's frustration or skepticism about traditional society, about uh, our institutions. Superman is an alien from another planet. He is an immigrant. We've, we've heard that a million times. We, we're constantly given that, like, Superman is from another planet. He's like Moses. He gets sent to Earth to protect us. All that stuff and how it relates to the Jewish immigrant story of his creators. How important do you think that really is to Superman? Because it's something we keep coming back to almost as much as you, they come back to the Jesus interpretation. I think it's it's definitely an important part of his mythos. And I think that there are a lot of creators who do interesting stuff with it. Anybody who works with that trope has to balance it with the fact that Superman is a white guy. Um, and that there's a reason that like he gets accepted as like the greatest superhero in the DC universe, whereas like the Martian Manhunter, who has almost exactly the same backstory, um, <laughs> maybe doesn't you know get as get as much recognition for that, or like Wonder Woman, who you know is she is a woman, and you know like all of those things sort of, and and there's so there are writers who have talked about that in the comics, but I think for Superman, like just as important as his sort of metaphor for immigration is that. 
he's an adopted child. And he also has this lifelong quest to reconcile these two cultures that he's from, one of which that he's really unfamiliar with um, and that he only has like sort of relics to learn about and only has this very distant relationship with, but at the same time, he has to represent it to everyone around him. I'm not adopted, but I am biracial. And so I think about that, like Superman being stuck between two worlds and Superman constantly in the comic books, the new Krypton stories that are, are more recent, trying to decide where his allegiances lie and putting him in the middle of that kind of push and pull of, of ethnic identity is really interesting today when we're we're grappling with it. I, I'm sure we all think about that. Jonah, I'm sure you think about it too, growing up in Hawaii and, and all of the cultural differences that there are with people there. Like, ha, ha, did you ever click with Superman in that way? You know, I don't think I ever read into Superman so much that way just because, you know, like he's just a white guy and like a, he could blend in. And that was a kind of an interesting thing about growing up in Hawaii where it's like, you know, my brother was brown, so he had an easier time at school than I did, who is white. And so it's like, I think maybe there was a bit of jealousy with the Superman where he's, this, he's like an alien from another world that we can't even fathom. And yet he gets, he, get, he just gets to, you know, play football. But I think the problem now is because we have so much Superman history. And so many people have interpreted this character, adults now, interpreting this character as something that he may not be, that we've lost the plot in terms of who Superman is supposed to be for children. It's a children's story that adults really love, that I love, that we all love on this show. And that's why I think Superman has to be grappling with the same issues we are, because Superman should be able to say, ah, I've had those feelings too, but this is what I choose to do. Like the choice that Superman makes in Justice League, the choice that he makes to not take his resurrection for granted and go back to Kansas and live with Lois for the rest of his life. Is there something you think, to your point, Dave, about him like being dark for these dark times? Because to me, Superman has always been like an American hero. You know, he's just this, uh, he's very very American, and he's the ideal of Americans. Like, we're good, we're powerful uh, as a country. And a time that a lot of people are starting to question, you know, American policies, the imperialism and, you know, military, uh, like industrial complex, like all these kind of things that are starting to, like, you know, the uh, racial inequality, class inequality. People are starting to question, I think, America more than they ever have before. So do you think that's why it's such the right time to have a dark Superman who, you know, he's almost the conduit for everyone's worries about this country and how it could last. I think association with America is a hurdle that like both Superman and Wonder Woman have struggled with um, as characters that are like nominally protectors of the entire world. But like Wonder Woman literally wears an American flag for various historical comics reasons. And certainly there was a comic in the aughts where Superman renounced his American citizenship that got many quote unquote fans real riled about the idea of Superman as a protector of the world without America sort of involved in it. And I think, I think there are a lot of conversations going on right now in sort of the question of what is the superhero metaphor? Is it a policing metaphor? Is it a vigilante metaphor? And these are good conversations to have. And I think the solution to all of them is not that the metaphor itself is necessarily broken, but the understanding that we can change the metaphor if we want to, that we can make Batman comics that 
are not supportive of authoritarian violence. And we can make Superman comics that are not supportive of a metaphor of imperialism. Um, and these characters are always what we are always going to be what the creator says they are for good or bad. They, and they are corporate vaxxed and they are money funded and they are all of those, <laughs> those icky things, but they are, they occupy a strange space where they are also kind of modern American folk heroes. And they are at a nexus of a lot of really fraught stuff, but they are also exactly what we make them. I'm just going to bring it up because I think this is the solution to everybody's problem. People who say Superman is too grim and people who are worried that Superman is too idealistic and too much of a fantasy. The solution to the problem is sitting right there, and I think Warner Brothers is working on it right now. Ta-Nehisi Coates has been hired to write a Superman movie. And of course, when you get the preeminent black thinker in our society, in America today, to write your Superman movie, someone who had a, a great successful run on the Black Panther comic, your first thought naturally is, are we getting a black Superman? Susanna, this is a controversial topic. Mm -hmm. It is a topic that I want to address head on because I think that is ultimately where we need to go, that Superman has to actually be an outsider instead of the assimilation that is inherent to Superman as a character, that even though he is an alien, he looks just like us. He is part of the the ruling class, quote unquote, uh, the, the white Protestant American superstructure is something Superman is a part of. If you make him a minority and if you make him uh, black specifically, it adds so much more nuance to it and it creates that clear message that we are sending to children, to young adults, to people who are looking to these characters as icons and role models, that this person has chosen, despite everything, to be a protector. Mm. Absolutely. I think that with any superhero, there are a lot of different ways to approach the character and a lot of different interesting things that you can do to them to make their metaphor stronger or change their metaphor or tweak it. And I think a black Superman is has a lot of incredibly like interesting and new and facets that could be worked into it. As a comic book nerd, my head also goes to, oh, well, like, you know, there's like Calvin Ellis, the black Superman who's president in like Earth. <laughs> and, you know, and then you've got, you've got or, like or Icon. Or, yeah, yeah, there's Steel and then there's, there's Icon, the Milestone Comics character who is a alien who was sort of accidentally given a black form in America that there and those are all those are all good ideas like those are all interesting things to play around with above all else I am all about seeing interesting superhero stories yeah I think it would be the most interesting superhero story ever because and I I felt I fell on the other side of this and I said well Superman is is a white character like James Bond is a white character like Batman is a white Aww. character, Spider-Man, et cetera, et cetera. Like, we can't change these things. Mm -hmm. But by changing them, we are sending a message to the rest of the world about what we value and what matters to us. And I think even though it's going to make us feel uncomfortable at first, the way that it makes us feel uncomfortable is a good feeling because it's a feeling that says we're addressing some of these prejudices, some of these things that bother us so much. <laughs> Making a, a female James Bond would be a big deal, not because James Bond needs to fundamentally change, but because of what it's saying about how we look at gender dynamics and sexuality and all of these things and power. And like, we've gotten to a point, I think, in our society where we can't just keep showing ourselves the same stories and we can't keep 
shoving the same ideas down our brains and we have to expand. And that's, I guess, why the show here is called Galaxy Brains, because we're <laughs> trying to expand our thinking and try to do uh, new things and and recontextualize our own mythology so that we can create a better tomorrow. And, and that's why Dark Superman in this movie, Injustice League, is great to me because it is trying to do that. But the next evolution of that idea is Superman needs to be a true outsider and an outsider in a world that really doesn't want him around. In Man of Steel, Batman versus Superman, Injustice League, Superman is ostensibly hated, right? We all, the, they, we don't trust him. I feel like they probably would. I feel like we'd probably be like, ah, oh, his guy has told us how to live our lives and everything's great and he's super powerful and let's all just get in line. But if he was black, folks, it's going to be totally different. But will a society that still thinks Jesus Christ is white accept a black Superman? Exactly. And that's why if you put Michael B. Jordan into... Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice. It's a better movie all automatically. <laughs> Straight off. It's going to be better. Susanna, thank you so much for joining us. This was a pleasure. Thank you so much. It was a blast. All right. So each week we wrap up the show with a galaxy brain take from one of our listeners. Here's one. Hey, guys. Zach from Oakland here. All right. Here's my galaxy brain take. I think Superman ruins Justice League. Just the way Thor and Captain Marvel ruined the Avengers, here's why. They are too powerful. You get a group of superheroes, Batman, Cyborg. These guys, their powers are like based in reality. There's some limitations. They're, they're pretty ground level, right? But the moment you add a god, well, then who do they have to fight? They have to fight big purple alien gods who are hell-bent on conquering galaxies. And that just isn't that interesting to me. That is a great point, I think. It really, uh, they, you know, they want a, a middleweight uh, fight as opposed to a heavyweight fight. But let's just point out that in the previous movie before this one, this the guy died. Like what Zach is trying to say is that so you have omnipotent like powers you can just go for. You have the, all the powers. What's got to be the threat? The threat is always going to be these other galactic huge army alien. And that's always going to be the the big thing the big you know the big fight at the end and i think that's a good idea because that kind of it only ends up leading to that big fight every single time thanos or you know dark side or whatever i get it there's an escalation point where you say okay uh how many more alien monsters can he fight how many more uh armadas of spaceships can he destroy i understand that but the compelling thing about superman is not what he fights it's who he is inside that counts just like you and me jonah and superman's greatest conflict is with himself jonah with himself thank you so much for your call zach but you are wrong okay if you want to call in we'd love to hear your galaxy brain take on next week's episode our number is in our show notes so give us a call and leave a voicemail with your take but please for the love of god make it weird that's a wrap on this week's Galaxy Brains. Join us next week for Mortal Kombat. Mortal Kombat! What was that, Dave? That was this, the theme song from the, the oh, oh, film. Oh, 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 yes, yes, yes. No, Mortal I know, I know. Kombat. No, no, it sounded exactly like it. Galaxy Brains is produced by Kylie Holloway and me, Dave Schilling. The show is engineered by Dan Turek with music from Gautam Trikishin. Our executive producer is Matt Patches, and our developing producer is Zach Mack. Polygon's editor-in-chief is Chris Plant, and Russ Frushtick is the director of special projects. 
Special thanks to Andrew Melnizek, who helped create the show. Until the next times, I'm Jonah. And I'm Dave. Hit us with your best shot, Steppenwolf. I have come to enlighten you to the great darkness. I will bathe in your fear. Now, stay tuned for the gray version of this podcast, which would be the same podcast, but in black and white.